Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra. This week we've got Andrew Allen standing in for James, who's still on his uh, paternity leave. Do you call it that? Good morning, Andrew. I think you can call it that if you're paying him. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Good. Fantastic. Well, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there you so. go. Oh, good, mo- good morning. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. And. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty intense yesterday. 2-2 draw with Liverpool at Anfield. You were there. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of all that happened, give me your cliff notes on what it was like to be in the away end there yesterday. Um, you know, started well, ended, I would say, a bit more arse-clenchingly than you might have liked. Yeah, I mean, it was... Um... I mean, if there was one word to sum it up, it would be stressful. Uh, it was um, from f- from from the moment the game started. You know, you just felt your you know everything about you just tighten up a little bit. But mm. you know, to be honest, like with in, in the cold light of day this morning, I, I, I feel really proud of the team. Actually, um, that's kind of where where my head's at at the moment. I mean, the atmosphere was amazing yesterday. Um, the fans were incredible. I mean, I don't get to do many away games. So mm. It's been a long, long time since I since I've been to one, and the 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 novelty of that experience, I guess, maybe carried me through the day. You know, there was a sense of expectation um, going into it that maybe I wouldn't have if I was sitting at home just waiting for it on the TV, where the dread kicks in. You know, you've sure. got other things going on, and you can kind of distract yourself with beers and. You know the the atmosphere in the I, I was going to say concourse. I mean, it's very hard to describe it as a concourse um, in the section of Anfield that you're given as away fans because you are basically like cattle. Um, I'll post a picture afterwards and, and show people what it was like. But I mean, you wouldn't actually transport cattle in those conditions, so I'm not surprised they're knocking that stand down. Um, but it was just a, it was a great atmosphere, and to be honest, for the first half an hour there, I mean, it was heaven. Um, I don't know whether the TV caught the Arsenal away fans singing and now now you're going to believe us we're going to win the league but um we went a bit early on that one. <laughs> um but that was probably the high point and at that point yeah after that it just became very 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 tense and to be honest by the time we got out I was quite happy to get away with the draw it's a weird one because you know when you're 2-0 up away from home at Anfield and you're playing that well to not win is is disappointing when you're 2-1 up at Anfield even though you're somewhat under the cosh to concede such a late equalizer is also really disappointing it's it's gutting not to have won that game yesterday but I think you also have to acknowledge that when Liverpool miss a penalty when Aaron Ramsdale makes an amazing save from Darwin Nunez, a brilliant save from Mo Salah, and an unbelievable save from Kanate right at the death. 
you sort of have to acknowledge that maybe it's a game you also could easily have lost. As much as it is a, a game that you should have won, it's a game that you you could easily have lost. And I, I sort of wonder how, like I fluctuated a little bit, you know, when the, the equalizer went in, I was like, oh, you know, fuck it. Because we were so close to hanging on. And then Ramsdale makes those saves and you're like, Jesus, okay. You know, I'll take the point here. Get out of get out of dodge with a point, and and I'm pretty happy with that. So, it's just it's hard to analyze games like that when so much happens and so much goes on um, that your emotions are going from one point to another point to another point, and it takes a while to settle down. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, one of the things about Firmino's goal is that even though it happened late. So much happened afterwards mm. that you know that sensation of conceding right at the death. That's that's really frustrating when that happens. Yeah. We've done that many many times at Anfield. You know, conceded stupid goals oh. deep into stoppage time, and and on this occasion, so much happened afterwards for both sides. Really, mm. that you know you, you were kind of there was such a tornado of action going on that it. It was so much to take in. I, I I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel disappointed because we conceded that late. I felt relieved that we didn't concede another one in the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, your point there about at, late goals at Anfield is I hadn't, oh. I, I'd forgotten, you know, because um, maybe I try not to think about the, those kinds of things. But down the years, you think about the night Arshavin scored the four goals and was it Ben Ayun who scored a late goal? I remember yeah. Joe Allen scoring a late goal neil meller yeah neil meller you know yeah. so this a, is there was a 2-2 there was a 3-3 yeah we, i would love to see the stat about how many points arsenal have dropped from a winning position at anfield in the last well since the premier league started yeah. because i doubt there's a i doubt there's anybody who's conceded quite so many points like that um as we have there i mean they do have an ability to suck the ball into the back of the net and I mean, honestly, when they scored with eight, with you know, on eighty-seven, and knowing that there was going to be injury time mm. added on, I was like, "Shit!" You know, they've actually scored relatively early for them here. You know, we're really at risk. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, to get out, to be able to kind of not sit for four hours in a car all the way home, feeling completely dejected, was <laughs> something to take, <laughs> you know, heart from. Really, you know, there was a relative level of, um, you know, people were up, we were upbeat in the car relatively. I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, we'll come to this then because we've got to go back to the start and we've got to, you know, try and work our way through this chronologically if we can. The team selection decision Mikel Arteta had to make was which one of his front four was going to sit it out. I thought it would be Leandro Trossard. Uh, that turned out to be the case. Uh, you know, I don't know that um, anyone could really complain too much about that decision. Um, like I said, you could make a great case for any any three, any combination of those guys starting, which is a nice problem for us to have. You know, we haven't been in this position too often in recent years where you're going like, which really good player is going to have to sit this one out and, and might be a bit pissed off. But, you know, the the opening to the game, I think you saw very quickly the intent that Arsenal came to Anfield with when Martinelli picked the ball up, ran at Trent, went past him. I think it came back for Xhaka. Xhaka had a shot, deflects out for a corner. 
I think that set the tone from an Arsenal perspective in, in terms of the performance and how we were going to play you know, at a ground where there is this history and a lot of that history has been quite painful for Arsenal, despite some of the uh, incredible history you've had there in the past. We've paid the price for it down the years as well. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think Martinelli showed inside a minute why he was selected and that was get him going at Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know. Um, he was f- fantastic all day, Martinelli, but he really set the tone and... um yeah, I mean it was it was a solid start, wasn't it? I mean, you know, I I it got the away fan it settled the away fans nerves, I would say, straight away because mm. you thought, okay, yeah, we're on it. Cuz you sometimes, you know, you watch Arsenal away from home sometimes and I said maybe not this season because we've been remarkably consistent this season, but in the past you can kind of tell within about 2-3 minutes whether Arsenal are going to be on it or if they're going to have one of those annoying sloppy days, but I felt like yeah, there we go. That's why Martinelli's been selected. Obviously, he'd scored against them really early in the home game. He scored against them a couple of times at the cop end in the League Cup game a few years ago, didn't mm. he? You know, Klopp, Klopp's always kind of praising him and saying what a player he is. So I just felt like Martinelli loves stepping up to the occasion when it's Liverpool. And um, mm. he certainly did that here. I mean, it really set the tone. I was, you know, very, very pleased. It was... Martinelli, of course, who opened the scoring. Little bit of good fortune, I guess, in the way that the ball rebounded, but Saka drove after Robertson slipped. Martinelli took it on, scored the goal, 1 0. Um, I think we deserved the goal. Um, there was another chance, wasn't there, for Jesus at the back post? Bakayo Saka put in a, a really good cross. Mm. It wasn't completely one way traffic, though. I think that's something that. Um, maybe people have assumed in in that opening 30 minutes when Arsenal were really, really good that it was just one-way traffic. It wasn't because there was a really good chance for Robertson at 1-1 where he dragged the shot wide of the post. Uh, I think Salah had a chance as well. Um, but yeah, I think Gakpo went over the bar even before we scored. You know, they were, you know, they, they were threatening. You know, mm. there was definitely a sense of it being quite end-to-end. Yeah, um, fairly even. But having re- re- yeah, re-watched the match this morning, it was far more even in that first 25 minutes than I recalled it being. But, you know, obviously a goal and putting yourself one up and in a strong position like that kind of, you know, mm. sort of distorts how you're thinking of things. I mean, up to the goal, I don't think Saka, he maybe touched the ball once, whereas Martinelli had had the ball constantly. So yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. But the moment we got it to him, there was suddenly this like Liverpool were on the back foot. And I mean, yes, there was a slight um, moment of luck when the ball kind of falls to, to Martinelli. But I... I looked at it this morning. We put 14 passes together before the ball ended up in the back of the net mm. and had the ball for about 45 seconds, slowing the ball down, holding had it a few times. Um, there was a sense of composure there, which uh, was a real mature thing for us to be showing you know, mm. at that stage in the game, I thought. Second goal, I mean, it looks so simple. And I think if Arsenal concede that goal, we would be having a conniption about the defending because it's obvious what Xhaka is going to do, uh, playing the ball over the top for Martinelli. Martinelli runs down the line, cuts back inside. Van Dijk, I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Gabriel Jesus is basically on his own. The cross from Martinelli is perfect. The header is really good. Robertson can't get back in. And it's a, it's a lovely goal from an Arsenal perspective, but... Like I said, if if that had happened up the other end, we would be having a fit about our right back, and we'd be having a fit about our, our like hugely experienced central defender, letting the five foot nine, five foot ten forward 
you know, run off him or, or get off him and find that much space to head home from such close range. Yeah, and I, I mean, in the build-up, it was actually started from a free kick, wasn't it? Because I think Martinelli had been, uh, or someone had been fouled, and Martinelli actually sort of started charging away. And actually, in the away end, we were furious because Tierney had blown up too early. And, didn't play you know, advantage, Martinelli yeah. was making headway. But still, it's like Liverpool didn't really regroup from that. And it was what, Zinchenko to party, party to Xhaka, Xhaka to Martinelli. No challenges at that point, touch inside. Great run by Jesus. Mm. Um I will say that before the game, I was asked for a prediction and I correctly predicted that Jesus would score a header. I envisaged this kind of exact moment where he kind of rose at the back post. And you have that kind of moment when you're celebrating, where you're sort of telling people you've never met. I told you, but obviously I would not told these people that I, he was going to score. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, it was, that was incredible. Cause at that point you're just thinking, Jesus, like if we could, you know, we're, we're 75% of the way there. Mm. We get another goal now. You know, this is it. We're, we're on our way. But yeah, I mean, obviously Liverpool came back into the game. That wasn't hugely surprising. Um, but I don't know that it was necessarily down to some of the criticism that's been, you know, targeted at one particular player. Um, yeah. But I'm sure we'll come on to that. Well, we're, we're on it basically because, um, yeah. you know, after, after we scored that goal, um, I think you could see Liverpool's frustration. There was a foul by Van Dijk on Jesus, a fairly cynical uh, kick in the knee. Um, rather than make a, an actual tackle, he took the player out. They had that chance uh, from Sal. I think it was a, a misplaced pass from Holding that, that uh, yeah, yeah. allowed that to happen, but he didn't make the most of it. I think Gabriel had done, uh, you know, did really well against Salah for the most part. Um, but then we have this moment where. On Sky, the minute it happened, they were talking about Granit Xhaka igniting the, the Liverpool crowd. Uh, what? Before I give you my thoughts on it, I mean, what did you think of it while you were there in the ground? Did you notice a... Did you notice a significant uptick in... The Liverpool crowd, because on on Sky, but there was a guy sitting close to one of the microphones. I don't know if you picked it up on the rewatch that you got, but there was a guy sitting close to the microphones, and you know, spent most of that first half calling his own players knobheads. Get fucking on with you, knobhead! Um, was that the moment they stopped calling their own players knobheads and got behind the team, or or how do you view it? I, I sense they got to a point where having gone 2-0 down, the crowd went from being kind of slightly shell-shocked to being restless. And there was actually a moment a couple of minutes before when Saka kicked the ball away where mm. they all screamed for a, for a booking for Saka. And it was at that point, I think, that you sensed that maybe they were sort of going to play more of a part in it. When the Xhaka incident happened, I mean, one, it was all the way down the other end. So you couldn't quite mm. tell exactly what had happened. Um, but there was a sense of, in the crowd, oh, Xhaka, don't get involved. We don't need sure. to get involved. Um, but re-watching it, you kind of see that, one, he's taken a bit of a, a, a challenge from behind from Canate. It's a foul. Up, and then obviously he's, he's, yeah, exactly. It's a foul. And he's had a little nibble at Trent in, you know, frustration, I guess. But obviously what we didn't see at the other end was that there was a reaction from Alexander-Arnold, which in any other circumstances, in its own right, was a, you know, that was what caused it, the flashpoint. Mm. Yeah, he pushed Shaka in the back. Um, yeah. um, 
you know, and look, ideally, you don't want Xhaka to get involved there. Ideally. But, you know, football is a game that's um, fairly emotional. And Xhaka, as we know, is a guy who is is fairly emotional. I just don't think that two yellow cards is what got the crowd going there. I really don't. I've watched it again this morning. Um, would I prefer it didn't happen? Yes. But I think it's the goal. It's the goal that gets yeah. the crowd really behind the team because, you know, until then, I know they had their their couple of chances that we talked about, but, you know, Arsenal were on top. Arsenal were playing really well. Arsenal were deservedly 2-0 up. And they reacted to the fact that, you know, 2-0 is a scoreline where one goal makes a hell of a difference. Just before halftime, they score a goal, which I think is, A, sloppy from an Arsenal perspective, but B, slightly fortuitous from a Liverpool perspective, where, you know, that, that Henderson squirter could have gone you know one foot the other way and it doesn't get to Salah you know he miscues it right in front of goal he's taking an attempt on goal our defending before that isn't brilliant Ben White you know is is out of position because he's caught high up the pitch I don't think Odegaard and and uh, Partey communicate well enough about the run of of Jota and we allow the the ball to come into the box, and and for me, that's what really gets the crowd going. I think if we go in two 0 up at halftime, nobody's talking about the Granite Jacket incident, beyond the fact that it's just a bit of handbags, and you see that kind of thing happen at football grounds and in football matches week in, week out, week in, week out. And you know, I don't think, despite all the lionizing and everything else, that the Anfield crowd is so distinctly different from any other football crowd, any other set of fans, you know, at home, big game, big opposition. They're not magic. You know, Arsenal fans have made plenty of noise this season as well. You know, I just, I think that whole thing is is overplayed and overblown. And I think the reality is if we defend better, that's not a goal. And that crowd is quiet going into halftime. Yeah, 100%. I mean, everyone in the away end was praying that we got to half time keeping a clean sheet intact. And mm. I didn't, I mean, it's weird. I didn't, you know, I've been to Anfield a couple of times and I, on neither occasion have I felt like it gets so loud that it would be unbearable to play in, mm. you know? Um, yeah, the goal, I mean, the goal was very frustrating. I, watching it back, we had nine players in the box mm. and they had five and the only place the ball could have gone from Jota to Henderson. And then Henderson, as you say, it was instinctive rather than measured. Um, and and then Salah just did what Salah does. You know, he mm. was just on, on the spot to, to poke home and it was a, a decent finish. But it was it was hugely, hugely frustrating. You could see that annoyance amongst the Arsenal players that they mm. allowed that kind of clear-cut chance to end up developing. And yeah, I mean, the key thing at that point was just to maintain our heads and and try and get through to to half time and i think you saw with martinelli like he kind of took charge of the situation and on a couple of occasions had the ball at his feet and just tried to keep the ball mm. keep it under pressure try and relieve you know any sense of additional momentum building for the home side um but obviously there was still you know still a chance for liverpool i think was it jota um, had an effort that Ramsdale kind of had to save. I mean, it's more of a cross that he was trying to parry away and mm. Henderson hit it over. And then and then the whistle went and everyone was like, right, breathe. Breathe for a bit. Well, that's it. Um, apart from Andy Robertson and the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Andy Robertson and the... The, uh, the Hench Lino. I mean, he's a big dude, isn't he? He's a big guy. I yeah. mean, I think if he'd really put an elbow on Robertson, he'd be spark out because that guy is... 
That guy is just, um, yeah, he's massive. Um, I mean, I mean, I, w- I will hold my hands up and say that we didn't really have a clue what was going on there. Aside from you could see the Liverpool fans were, or the Liverpool players were angry about something, but we assumed it was to do with you know something Arsenal players had done or something decision yeah. that hadn't gone their way in the game. You know, we didn't know. Yeah, Roy Keane on Sky um, was very good. I'll just play this now, talking about it. I mean, what, what's he going over to him for? And what's he complaining for? I said at half-time, Robertson, what, what, what a baby. What a big baby. Just get on with the game. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I love that you say, just get on with the game. I mean, the half-time whistle's gone. There's not even a game to get on with. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It's, it's, a, it's such a weird one, you know? It'll be very interesting to see what, what happens with this. And, you know, Robertson got booked in that moment. He picked up a yellow card. So, at half-time, I'm thinking Mikel Arteta, you know, he's going to speak to his players. He's going to tell them, look, the temperature's risen because of their goal. They're going to provoke you. They're going to get the crowd going as much as they can. But at the same time, both fullbacks are on yellow cards. Van Dijk is on a yellow card. You know, if we can get into dangerous areas, if we can run at them, that's what I was hoping we would do in that second half, where... You know, we could take advantage of the fact that they are on yellow. You know, I know Ben White was on a yellow and Jacko was obviously on a yellow. So you, you feel when it's your own players, it's a bit more precarious. But it didn't quite turn out that way um, in the second half where we had the opportunity to to stress them out in, in that sense. We didn't really get the wingers running at them or getting in behind them in the way that we would have liked. Um I think Arteta said on on Sky afterwards, the first couple of minutes of the second half, um, he talked about how they had a reset. The first couple of minutes of the second half weren't bad. But then the game, I think the momentum anyway, swung in in Liverpool's favour. Yeah, I mean, it got quite physical. I I felt like Canate was kind of at the centre of everything. You know, he got sort of temperatures rising again with a pretty heavy challenge on Xhaka. Xhaka, yeah, point. yeah, yeah. He was allowed to do um, a lot that, you know, I don't want to make a, a great fuss about the referee. Um, I know nobody is, is Paul Tierney's biggest fan. And I don't think there was anything hugely egregious in terms of the officiating. My sense was, as an Arsenal fan watching this, I felt like Liverpool were allowed make fouls that Arsenal weren't. The Kanate on Shaka, um, like I think if if Shaka goes in the way that Kanate went in on Shaka, it's possibly a second yellow card because of the way the crowd would have reacted. I think it was a very home team uh, friendly in inverted commas refereeing display from him. Where like even the one that led to the Trent thing, I think if a, an Arsenal player makes that foul on a Liverpool player, it's a free kick. Mm. Whereas we didn't get those, and I think those were the, the the things that maybe just raised raised the level a little bit. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't kind of game defining officiating decisions, no. but there was something that kind of went with the home side, and because Canate's challenge on Jacker was almost exactly the same as the white one in the first yeah. half that earned White a booking. Um, what I would also say is, given the nature of the challenge and the fact that Jacker was quite hurt. For all of the allegations that he might have lost his head in the first half, he certainly did not lose his head in the second half. You know, mm-hmm. he kept his cool there. I know he was injured; he needed a bit of treatment, um, but you know, he kept his cool. So, in that respect, whatever message had been passed to him at half time 
sunk in pretty well. Sure. Um, so, you know, yes, the temperatures were, were rising. I think Liverpool were deliberately trying to get it a bit more physical. And then, what was it, a couple of minutes later, mm. very sort of out of nothing, really, penalty decision. Um, even from where we were at our end, it just looked clumsy and like it was always going to be given. Yeah, I mean, I think it's soft and I think there's no worse player to be up against in that situation than Jota because he can make any little bit of contact look um, look like it. I mean, my rule of thumb, of course, is like what happens if that's Jesus up the other end? Do I want the penalty? I think yes, I do. It's slightly yeah. clumsy from, from Rob Holding. Jota makes the most of it, of course. Um, but Salah put it wide. I mean, what a... I mean, the the idea of them making it 2-2 in, uh, after 51 minutes in the context of what happens, you know, after that is, you know, I'm glad that didn't happen because as stressful as it was, the way it was, it would have been even more so that, um, you know, had, had he scored that penalty. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because you kind of think, well, okay, at 2-2, would we have reset and decided, hell, we just need to go for it again? Or would mm. we have just been so under the cosh and got battered and ended up losing 5-2 or something? I mean, obviously, huge relief uh, that Salah missed. It looked like he'd hit the post from where we were, but then, you know, you saw on the replay and it was, you know, straight wide. I say saw on the replay. saw on the replay when I got home because yes. obviously Liverpool still don't have any big screens at their place, which is kind of mad because, you know, in the 21st century, how do you not have those? But, mm. um, yeah, but after that, I thought after the penalty, we actually, we had a period where we settled. Liverpool lost a little bit of steam. Mm. We took the sting out of things. We were happy to slow it down. It was a bit scrappy. It was very in the midfield. It didn't feel stretched, um, mm. which it had done at periods before that. Um, you know, and there, yeah, I mean, there there were a couple of little warning signs, I might say. I mean, there was one point when Zinchenko was dispossessed by Trent Alexander-Arnold, which seemed to be, in my eyes, the first sign of mm. some sense of tiredness on the part of the Ukrainian because they were really targeting that right-hand side. Yeah. I mean, Lewis Ambrose posted this after the game where between the 57th and the 81st minute, Liverpool did not have a single attempt on goal, even though they were, I guess you would say, dominant, certainly in terms of possession and certainly in terms of territory, they weren't really threatening. And, you know, I'm I'm loath to criticise Mikel Arteta this season because I don't think he has made too many mistakes. You, you're not top of the table and let's remember, we're still six points clear at the top of the table, despite how disappointing it felt yesterday. You know, you don't get to that position and make a lot of mistakes. But I think yesterday, the substitutions were not good. Um, I think Tierney should have come on for Zinchenko a little bit earlier than he did. Um you know, which isn't to say that Liverpool wouldn't have found another way through, but when Zinchenko gets nutmegged and and the cross comes in for the equaliser, you know, uh, you know, you could see on the on the bench afterwards he's sitting there absolutely gutted that that happened to him and and the goal came from it. But I think that's a change he could have made earlier. I think a little more faith in Kieran Tierney in that situation would have been good. But Jakub Kivior on for Martin Odegaard really did not work. Um, like, I get the idea of, okay, we're in the last 10 minutes. Liverpool are going to... Rob Holding. Yeah. yeah. You, you, but you don't... You've already put Rob Holding on. And the thing about yeah, Rob exactly. Holding is, you know, 
People have their opinions about him. Um, I think where he is probably at his best is as a backs-to-the-wall defender in situations almost exactly like this where you're camped deep in your own half and you need someone to just defend and head the ball away and head the ball away. I think uh, he made... Was it nine clearances? Nine. Nine Nine clearances. clearances. So in that context... Yeah, go on, sorry. No, I was going to say Gabriel made seven. But I mean, that period, that 22-minute period before Kivior came on, there was a lot of balls into the box where they was just like meat and drink. They'll just head it away. You know, that's fine. I mean, obviously it didn't relieve pressure that much, but it was was away, you know? Exactly. And, And this is where I think, you know, if William Saliba and Gabriel start that game... You could probably make a rock-solid case that Rob Holding coming on in that circumstance because he is, you know, that kind of a defender and he's also got a load of Premier League experience, right? He's, you know, been around the block plenty. He's 26, 27 years of age. You know, no, he's not a starter, but he's done this job for us countless times. Kivior has only arrived, um, still settling into England. I'm not sure he's that kind of a defender anyway my my guess is i don't really know because i haven't seen a great deal of him but he's a bit more of a ball playing defender than a a sort of classic stopper right so to put him on for only a second premier league uh, appearance when anfield is like you know it's intense this was an intense game even if liverpool didn't have the chances it was a very intense game he put Kivior on, took Odegaard off. It meant we conceded the midfield, basically, to um, to Liverpool, who brought Thiago on, who's a really smart player, who found some passes that other midfielders in that Liverpool team were not, were not uh, able to find. Kivior's first involvement is to come for a high ball, completely misses it, miss kicks, goes through to Darwin Nunez, who's through on goal, potentially 2-2. Ramsdale makes an amazing save. And as much as Martinelli driving at Trent in the first minute set the tone for for that first half, I think this kind of set the tone for the final 10, 15 minutes of this game, including injury time. No chances, no attempts on goal for Liverpool before that. Five attempts after that. I think if you ask Mikel Arteta if he could have a go again on that, it's not the change he would have made. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the message when he sent on Kivio was in the first minute. I want you to go charging through the midfield and try and put yourself about a bit and see mm. what happens. You know, I'm, <laughs> that was not the message, but no. that's exactly what he did. Um, yeah, I mean, what they had two, they had two efforts inside a minute of him coming on. Uh, Salah went into the side netting as well as the yeah, that's right, so, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it was. I I think everyone was a bit shocked about that about that decision mm. because you just assumed that Tierney would be the guy to come on and 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 shore up that left side where they were obviously targeting things rather than bring on another guy into the middle mm. who would then you know unless it was a case of I want Gabriel to support. Zinchenko more Mm -hmm. and therefore I'm going to put Kivior inside him so that Gabriel can do a bit more kind of pushing closer to players and maybe backing him up but I mean when you actually look at the 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 goal that when when that happens Gabriel is way outside the box initially there's this really weird situation where 
you know, obviously t- Trent Alexander-Arnold does Zinchenko will work his up, but in the build-up, Gabriel goes charging after Henderson, I think it is. Mm. Um, and I don't think he would do that if he was one of two centre-backs. But yeah. weirdly, because there was an extra one in there, he sort of made that decision that I can afford to go and press a bit higher. And ultimately, even though he gets back into the box, he's nowhere near the danger area when the ball comes in. And Firmino is pretty much unmarked just to head into an empty net, isn't he? Yeah, um, he's so, so annoying. The amount of goals that guy scored yeah. against us down the years. Eleven. I mean, has any player scored more against us? I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, R- Rooney and Kane. Right, okay. What a triumvirate of fucking... <laughs> anyway, um, look, it, it felt sort of inevitable, um, unfortunately. I mean, you see the reaction to the goal. I think it's, um, ben White just looks absolutely shattered. He just lies on the ground. Zinchenko then came off. Um, I mean, it's just one of those, isn't it? It's, you know, if, if Zinchenko gets a nick on that ball, maybe we, we hold out, but... Um, yeah, I'm just watching it again. I, I, do you think? Do you think Arteta was getting ready to bring Tierney on before that goal happened, and that was the last straw? I think him? so. I think so because he came on really quickly, so he was ready. Um, yeah. I, I do think he should have come on earlier, to be honest. Um, and I don't think changing shape helped us at all. It helped Liverpool, you know, changing shape mm. into that back back five or three centre halves, whatever way you want to call it. I think Liverpool. Uh, made the most of that, you know, because um, it sort of, it it told them what we were trying to do. Therefore, it told them what they needed to do as well. How do you, how do you try and exploit that? Get balls into the box. They do have good headers of the ball. They've got big guys, you know, Van Dijk, Nunez, Kanate. These are big players. They've got players who can deliver really well from both sides, Trent and Robertson, um, you know, very good with their delivery and open play and from set pieces as well. So I, I think it's it's a mistake um, from Arteta. Like I said, he hasn't made too many of them this season. I think he, he's, he's been really, really good. But this is one where in his own analysis of the game, I think he will... I think he will acknowledge that maybe that was that was one he got wrong. Um, but I, I, it's just such a just a big ask of Kivior as well, you know, to go in raw, yeah, yeah, in that atmosphere for effective. I mean, not his debut, but you know, it, it felt like a debut in many respects because it was the first time in a pressure situation that he yeah. had to face. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, yeah I'm not big, being critical of Kivior. I think it's you know, mm. it was not quite throwing him to the wolves, but. I would, like I said, I'd have, I've, I'd have been a lot more comfortable with that substitution if it had been holding coming on to, to sit between Gabrielle and, and Saliba. But we have to talk about uh, Aaron Ramsdale. Um, the save from Nunez is, is fantastic. The save from Salah is unbelievable as well because it takes a, a deflection off, off Gabrielle. And then the save from... Kanate. I mean, this passage of play um, after the corner is cleared and Liverpool bring it back in. Uh, I'm going to play the comms off Sky. I don't. I know that nobody wants to hear um, Gary Neville noises, but I think they do. Uh, the 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 reactions of both himself and Jamie Carragher kind of sum up what what this 
not even 30 seconds was because he makes the save and immediately Arsenal have an incredible chance to, to go and win the game. So here's the comms from, from Sky Sports. Stand four by Alexander Arnold, Darwin Nunez, Canate. Oh, Aaron Ramsdale. What? Oh, now, Portini looking through players. Canate so thinks it should be a penalty. Oh, Arsenal could go and win it. Michael Thomas. Oh! Bukayo Saka. second to sum up a sensational football match you've just seen it I mean extraordinary really because the 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 save he makes maybe Kanate should do better you know if you're a Liverpool fan you're probably sitting here this morning going Kanate should be more decisive with, with that finish but for Ramsdale to get across you know there's a slow-mo version where they sort of you know he's turned sideways and he's stretching himself it's an unbelievable save to, to be able to keep the ball out when your all of your momentum is taking you backwards in that instance yeah. uh, was quite something. I mean, obviously, all we're seeing is this kind of blur of 22 players in front of us and the ball is bouncing around and you're not quite sure mm. what's happened and how it's happened. You're just desperately happy that Liverpool fans aren't you know celebrating a goal. And then, as you say, I mean, the ball comes up the other end and suddenly there's this sort of hush descends and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, please just make <laughs> that pass. And, uh, oh, I mean, yeah, Martinelli just, I think for the first time in the game, kind of slightly fluffed his lines, really. Mm. Um, I mean, what a moment, you know, in, in a season full of incredible moments and late drama from an Arsenal perspective, you know, we got it with the Ramsdale save, but we could have had a double helping. The cherry on top would have been Martinelli finding the right pass for Bukayo Saka and Saka to slot that ball home and make it 3-2. Um, I, I know we're dreaming now because because of, you know, the way it played out. But, I mean, it is a, you know, there was a, there was a moment as well, you know, where um, between when Saka got booked, didn't he? He got booked for time-wasting because he ambled over to take a corner. Gabriel has a header, which goes straight at Allison. Oh. Like either side of him, you know, and he's usually really good uh, from set pieces. Gabriel scored a lot of goals for us. So I'm not being critical, but I don't, you know, Liverpool don't come back from 3-1 down at that point. No, I mean, there was, um, there was also a chance, wasn't there, uh, where Saka turned Canate in the box and then tried the pullback to Trossard and kind of overhit the the pass a little bit. Yeah. And there was nobody actually was there was nobody There was no one else behind. Yeah, where where Ben White would have come in to put the ball home yeah. like he did against Bournemouth and and Leeds. You know, he's not there because of the formation that we're playing. That's another maybe another aspect to to how that change potentially costs us. I mean there were other chances. I think there was a a brilliant Martinelli run as well, wasn't there, when um he crossed it to the back post, it almost fell for Saka. You know, there yeah, were yeah. moments for Arsenal. It wasn't a case that we didn't have moments to to extend our lead or go on and win this game. So this is why you have all these mixed emotions this morning where you're sort of grateful for Ramsdale saving and then absolutely heartbroken that, that Martinelli couldn't find that pass. Yeah. And also, I guess there's just, for me, 
having experienced Arsenal scoring such late goals before against Liverpool and still not winning mm. games. <laughs> there's also this sense that we might have scored and gone 3-1 up and still found a way, or even gone 3-2 up and found a way to concede another one. You know, who knows? I mean, the way Liverpool play against us sometimes, you know, you think back to that game at the Emirates where we won a penalty in something like the 102nd minute and still managed to draw 1-1 when oh, God, uh, yeah. gave away another penalty. and. You know, even after our Arshavan had put us up 4-3 in the fourth. So, I mean, look, who knows what would have happened? All I would say was that, obviously, you recognised as the full-time whistle went that it had been an incredible game. Mm. For the neutral, for everyone. I mean, I um, I know that Manchester City's WhatsApp group uh, amongst the staff was uh, very, very pleased with the with the draw. Um you know, who knows what they would have been like with the win, but they were they were very very happy that uh, Liverpool came back. Mm. I've got a little bit of inside knowledge there. Uh, yeah, so I don't know. It was just a, it was an incredible game. I'm I, I'm glad it's over. You know, <laughs> we don't have to worry about Liverpool now for a while again. We've got eight more to go. I was very worried about this being a a match that might really knock us off kilter, but I think there's enough to take from this game for us to feel confident about still doing something this season. Yeah, I agree. I, I think we, we can recognise that we didn't play as well as we should have and didn't make the most of the fact that we went 2-0 up and didn't quite hang on at 2-1. You know, you can see all of those things. But Arteta's post-game interview, he was very upbeat on Sky. He was surprisingly cheery because I thought he, you know, obviously had been through the ringer like all of us. But he was really upbeat about what we did and how we did it. As he said, you know, nobody's come here and done that to Liverpool this season. And when you look at their results at home, you know, they've beaten Manchester City. Um, they've beaten Newcastle. Um, you know, they, they're a different team, um, a different team at home than they are away. And Anfield is a, a place, uh, and this fixture, I mean, I think you've said it, you know, the historical drama of this fixture is embedded into what happens whenever these two teams meet regardless of who's in charge and who's playing you know there's just something to this fixture so i think there are certainly positives that that arsenal can take away from this um a sense of regret a sense of relief all of those things are are valid i mean we're going to do questions in part two obviously but the the biggest question, the one that keeps being repeated and so many people have asked this this morning is, you know, do you think it's two points dropped or a point gained? How do you view it in the cold light of day? Or is it, you know, is it too early to say, you know, it feels to me like a point at Anfield is never really a bad thing. If you'd mm. said to, if I'd said to you at the start of the season, Andrew, I'm going to give you four points from the two Liverpool fixtures, you'd, you'd have taken that. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. 100%. And I know that what happened and how it happens and the context of it, you know, really plays into how we feel about these things. But, you know, if you step back and you try and be a little bit objective about it, as difficult as that is, you know, I think you 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 look at this and think, okay, we should have won. We definitely could have lost, but we've taken four points from Liverpool this season and in a title race, in a season where you're really fighting for the title, I think that's a pretty good return from uh, from opposition as difficult as this. Yeah, 
And also, and it was, you just look at the gap being closed on Liverpool. I mean, obviously we know the gap is closed on Liverpool because there's mm. a huge points gulf between the two sides. But let's say that Liverpool are probably not as bad as their league position is making out. They've been inconsistent and maybe they're trying to, you know, find a, a new way of playing under, you know, with some of the changes in their personnel. But, mm. but two years ago, we were so far away from being anywhere near Liverpool's level. Yeah. Last year, they absolutely, you know, dicked all over us uh, at Anfield. We fell apart in the second half. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't fall apart in quite the same way, and we might easily have won this game. I think some of the nature of the comments, people being slightly downbeat today, is maybe in the context of City winning quite easily mm -hmm. against Southampton and having won a few games in a row quite easily and looking, you know, pretty good. But if you, you know, played this Liverpool game at any other point in the season, maybe not right in the business end of the season, that point looks great. Mm. And right now, that is what I'm trying to take away from it. Also, the fact that I didn't have to sit in a car for five hours feeling absolutely miserable. Well, yeah, that's the most important yeah. thing. Um, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, Ramsdale, when he spoke to Sky afterwards, was talking about how, you know, the, the message within the dressing room from the manager is is one of positivity. And I think you have to have that. I think as fans, we're feeling it because we're on a knife edge. We know how crucial every single point could be. We know, you know, what's at stake. We know how difficult it's going to be. There's some tough games and, and you know, the, the sense that maybe you drop two points is, is very acute. I get that. But, uh, you know, I, I was just glad we came away from this with something because I think when you talk about the impact of a result on on a team's psyche if we had if we'd lost that game yesterday if we conceded another goal very late if like that Kanate chance had gone in if that Salah chance had gone in you know I I would I would have some real worries about what impact that might have on us you know and again, like I said, we're Absolutely. still six points clear. And, and let's remember that, um, you know, people are very quick to write us off. They've been quick to write us off this season. When we lost to Man City, they wrote us off straight away because City went top of the table and we responded. I think what they have to do is focus on what was positive about this performance, uh, take that into the next game, you know, and just show what we're made of again. So, you know, a point could have been better, could have been, could easily have been worse. I think we have to just again, compartmentalize this one and, and, and go again. There's the, There was an interesting stat on the Arsenal website this morning, which I assume has come from Opta, which said that that is um, only the third time this season we've dropped points from a, a winning position. So mm. away at Southampton and at home at Brentford with the other two. Um, and yeah, today, well, it says today, yesterday was the first time this season we've dropped points from goals conceded in the final 10 minutes. So maybe there's a little bit of that kind yeah. of thrown into it. You know, the disappointment of a late goal, the fact that we've not been used to conceding, you know, points mm. late on, that may well sort of play into it a little bit. Obviously, the context and the timing of the season as well. But yeah, look, try, time to stay positive. Title races aren't easy. Well, that's it. People haven't experienced them for a long, long time. And this is what they're like. <laughs> this is exactly what they're like. They're full of ups and downs and things that put you through the, you know, through hell. You know, when you think about, even when you go back to 89, you know, the results mm. that meant Arsenal had to go to Anfield to win 2-0. Was it a defeat against Derby? Um, yeah, and a draw with Wimbledon. You know, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
you know, so I don't really buy into any criticism of this team's mentality. You know, when you realize those stats there about how we've, how we've, um, won our points this season and how we've dropped points this season. And actually, you know, if you want to be really positive about it, when we really needed a big, uh, contribution from our goalkeeper, there he was. And, you know, maybe that's the positive we'll take from this. And when we look back at this in, you know, a few weeks time, this could be a really, really, really valuable point. Um, let's hope yeah. so anyway. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're absolutely right just to say well done to Ramsdale. He's been brilliant recently. Yeah. You know, it's not just this game. He's He's been making match-defining saves week in, week out recently. So good on him. Mm. Keep it up. Keep it Keep up. Keep it up. England's number one who isn't the number one. But there you go. It'll come, I'm sure. Okay, let's take a little break here. We will come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you've sent to us on Twitter at Sport and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. As you are the, uh, the guest this week, Andrew, I will uh, give you first question. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, this one is from uh, at Ziggy underscore Guna on Twitter, who says... One of the most significant changes Mikel Arteta has made at the club is Arsenal's massively increased use of the dark arts, which were on full display during yesterday's game. <laughs> to what extent do you think this detracted from our focus on playing football? I don't think it did. I don't really think it did. It was it was um, yeah. interesting. I texted my brother after the game, uh, the Monk Smasher, and... Uh, he's obviously in some Liverpool WhatsApp groups and he was saying that there is or was uh, among the Liverpool fans anyway, a sense that we were um, taking the mick a bit uh, with some of the stuff that we did with some of the, you know, time wasting. I think the Aaron Ramsdale getting something in his eye on 20 minutes in every game uh, move is going to have to be adjusted somehow because that's becoming <laughs> <laughs> it's becoming a bit obvious. It's like, oh, Ramsdale's down. Physio comes on. I mean, that that's the thing. The goalkeeper doesn't have to go off when he yeah. gets some treatment, right? So he goes down. Arteta immediately gets the players over. The players go over straight away. So stuff like this is obviously preordained, right? Yeah. But in general... I don't really have an issue with it because everyone else does it. Everyone else 
tries to gain every little bit of advantage that they can get, whether it's by time wasting, whether it's by getting a free kick, you know, and I said already, I think there were free kicks that we should have had, but did not get yesterday from the referee who gave similar things to, to Liverpool. So I've got no problem with us trying to manipulate games to our advantage, particularly big games, you know, against, um, against opposition like this, you can't win a title without being smart, without being a bit cute, you know, take the sting out of it, take, um, you know, get them frustrated, whatever it might be. I, I've got no problem with it whatsoever, but I don't think it's anything that detracts from the kind of football that, that we try and play. Yeah, agreed. I, um, earlier in the week, watching the Newcastle game, I tweeted my frustration at Nick Pope going down mm. and Eddie Howe immediately calling a team talk and obviously it being a complete farce and that this is the type of thing that Newcastle do every time. Mm. At which point, loads of Arsenal fans piped up and said, yeah, but we do that. And I said... I don't care that we do it. It's not, <laughs> I don't care if we're cheating. That's fine. But I don't like seeing it when anyone else does it. Um, and this was the perfect example of this game. I mean, Ramsdale went down on 20 minutes just after the Robertson miss. Mm. Gabriel went down on 33 minutes just after Salah miss. I think he did Martin block a shot um, with his head. Well, there were, that, that, that was, a, that was oh, one that was in a the separate, second half. All right, okay. 57 minutes. Right. There was a uh, Martinelli needed treatment after a kick from Canate. Jesus um, took treatment when he went down under another challenge from Canate. So they were like, mm. I think five or six occasions where we had to have the medical team come on. Now, I think in some instances, yeah, absolutely. That, that was necessary. In others, I think it was a case of take the sting out of the game. 100%. Mm. Um, in the first the first two, the first two that happened before um, before they scored, I felt like that was a very clever thing to, for us to do because it was very clear that we were aware that if Liverpool build up momentum, they become very difficult to deal with. So mm -hmm. I think it's been a smart thing. I don't think that we didn't play football as a consequence of focusing on trying to time waste yesterday. I just think we were very aware that a 90-minute game at Anfield is, feels like a very long 90 minutes and why not try and compress the game down to you know, as, as short a time as possible. We still played football. We still, you know, we were still attacking in those cl closing stages, even if we'd been under the cosh. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's an issue. No, I don't either. I think, you know, we, we, the best teams, the most successful teams all have a bit of that to them. And it sort of stands out a bit more because you go, well, actually, you're really good at football. Why are you doing this? But it's part of how you frustrate the opposition. It's part of how you control games. Um, you know, being able to make the cynical foul, for example, as we saw um, Arteta talking to Man City players in the in the Man City all or nothing. You know, if if it's in what did he say? If it's in on halfway, you know, make the foul. And he's talking to mm. well-known hatchet men, uh, David Silva and and Kevin De Bruyne and people like that. You know, so this is part of what our Arteta is going to try and instill in this team and we're going to see more of it going forward but I, I think it's a separate thing from from the kind of football uh, that we try and play um, we did touch on this a little bit but Zachary Baker who's at Z Bakeman on Twitter said can you respect Anfield too much there was a lot of talk about how that ground can swallow teams whole can it be ignored is it really that potent for about 40 minutes it seemed we had it under wraps 
I mean, we've gone to Anfield and we've absolutely freaked out from the first minute. Um, mm. And we did not do that this time. I think we were very, very well prepared to cope with what could be a, a hostile atmosphere. And instead we took it to them mm -hmm. and uh, completely quiet in the crowd. I think obviously they were coming off the back of a couple of bad results and they've not you know, been themselves this season. So that played into them being a little bit quieter in the stands anyway. I don't, I don't know if you can respect it too much. I mean, I don't like that it's become mythologized, fabled, what have you, you know, there's a sort mm. of narrative around it that, panics other teams i mean liverpool certainly don't complain that, that narrative exists um it's the type of thing that you would love arsenal you know to have behind them you know this sense that any team goes to arsenal and the crowd are going to get on top of you and make it really difficult mm. and stuff um yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't i mean it's it's an intangible isn't it you can't you don't know for sure so it's not something you can really worry about and arteta's very much a, a, a facts based kind of guy isn't he he is but he's also a feelings based guy you know, you saw what he tried to do with the the, the music yeah. going to Anfield last season. I think he recognises that there is potentially a bit of a psychological block when it comes to Anfield. When you haven't won at a grand since 2012 and when you've been on the end of a few spankings, I think it does get into the psyche a little bit. So it's not so much about respecting it. I think it's about trying to break down these psychological obstacles that, that you have to contend with as a team like White Hart Lane is a perfect example of that where, you know, we've, we've struggled. Um, this was the first time we'd won there since Thomas Rosicki uh, scored in, in 2013. This season was the first time we'd gone and won there. So these things exist uh, and it's up to you as a team to demonstrate that you're capable of dealing with them. Yeah. I mean, I, it's a strange one though, isn't it? Because this set of players playing together have not experienced and been damaged by those past results in the same way that you and I as supporters have experienced those results. Sure. So they don't go to these places and necessarily think, oh my God, Arsenal surrendered a 3-2 lead in mm. you know 2015 when they should have seen out the game. You know, I carry that around with me. I'll always carry 4-0 <laughs> up at Newcastle around with me. But yeah, it's a different one for the players. I think they, and I'm sure that the, management is aware of that i mean they they've definitely got psychologists and stuff on board and all the rest of it but it's almost about how do you block out the noise so that you don't even know that these things are an issue yeah because if you talk about them and keep telling people that this is a thing that exists and is it becomes an issue it gets in your head mm. if the players are completely ignorant of the atmosphere at anfield then it's not something they have to necessarily cope with i don't think but mm. um yeah i mean i don't I don't know. It's, it's basically my answer. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Your question. Uh, let's have a look. So, um, okay. This is quite an interesting one. Uh, Martin Earl, who goes by at Guna underscore Poland on Twitter said, your thoughts on no midweek game that might have given a distraction when we now have to wait until Sunday also, does it help us that West Ham United are in European action this week? I guess so, yeah. I mean, are they away? No, I think they're at home. I think they're playing a Belgian side. Right. But um, at the same time, you know, they're kind of, their season 
kind of rests on you know some form of success in that competition slash avoiding relegation. Well, that's it. I mean, it's it's a two pronged thing, isn't it? I mean, if you look at the, uh, I'm just going to get the, the the table up here. I mean, they're in 14th West Ham, but they're only three points away from the relegation zone. So. I think when you're playing a team that's in that position, there's always going to be a difficulty because they they are absolutely scrapping for their lives and they will recognize how easily they could get sucked into it if you know a couple of teams below them get a, a few good results under their belt. So it'll be really tough. I suppose it is a benefit to us that they're playing on, on Thursday. You know, the, the, and, and we might easily have been playing on Thursday. Well, exactly. We won that penalty shootout, being an away game at I don't know mm. Juventus, I think it was that we might, in theory, have drawn. Oh yeah. Uh, and obviously, Man City have to go to Bayern Munich this week as well. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the benefit, I suppose, of of exiting Europe is that we have a full week, is that we have the ability to rest and recuperate and and to you know get people. Um, you know, fully recovered from the exertions of Anfield. And then we, you know, we've got to go away again. I know it's a London derby. And it's not too far, but, you know, that is the benefit. We have to make the most of that advantage. Um, you know, West Ham can't begin their preparations for Arsenal until Friday. We can begin our preparations for West Ham today or tomorrow or whenever that is. If the players have got a day off or something today, give them a rest and get them back in on Tuesday ready to go. I mean, we've all week to prepare for for West Ham. Um, so that is the advantage. And you would hope that that's something we can we can really make the most of. Um, mm. And hopefully... Put a bid in for Declan Rice. Yeah, probably. exactly. Un- unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully Bayern Munich kicked the fuck out of Manchester City in midweek. Um, that would be... yeah. I mean, that's, well, except for the fact that we also want them to stay in the competition and have to play Real Madrid further down the line. So. Well, of course, of course. I didn't say I didn't want them to progress, but I do want them to, <laughs> you know, pick up a number of, of significant up, injuries. Yeah. Get the yeah, exactly. So we'll see. Okay, here is a question from the Discord. From uh, I've got to put my glasses on, so I've got to increase the font size. Uh, Gautam Batia, who says, do you think yesterday's game revealed one of the few remaining shortcomings with respect to squad depth, the inability to change things up in a midfield that was getting overrun slash bypassed a bit with the pursuit of Declan Rice slash Caicedo? Is that one of the final pieces in the jigsaw for next season? Yes. Yeah, I think I think we probably lacked the ability to bring on another holding midfielder who could have helped screen the defence alongside party. I mean, we had Jorginho on the bench, but is this the kind of game where Jorginho's physical limitations, you just can't throw him into that? Like, if you'd, if you'd given me Elneny yesterday, I think that might have been the kind of change because he's got the energy to get around the pitch in a way that maybe Jorginho doesn't. I think Jorginho is best when you're on the ball, when you're dominating, when he can play the passes. You mm. you know, I don't think this was the right moment for, for him. When I saw Jorginho warming up, I thought to myself, I don't want him on the pitch today. Because the game was going at 100 miles an hour. And as soon as he gets turned, you know, Chelsea fans would tell you he's, he's useless. So... I'm not saying that he would have necessarily been in that situation, but 
it wasn't the game that you want to bring him on. As exactly as you say, if El Nenny's there and you want someone who's going to go tearing around after people trying to close them down, keep the pressure up and all the rest of it. Yes. So I think I think there was definitely a, a weakness there. And I would also say obviously the fact that Holding was starting because Saliba was injured and then Holding therefore wasn't on the bench to bring on maybe is another sign that there was a, a depth issue there. Cause mm. I don't think that, I, you know, I love Rob Holding. I think he's very good at what Rob Holding does, but I don't think he is Gabriel Saliba standards. And I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. And I think at this point in a season, you know, would Arsenal have won with Saliba and Gabriel as the, the partnership yesterday instead? I'd have, I'd have, I'd have put an extra tenor on it, mm. you know? Uh, so, I think there are a couple of little issues, but that's fine. I mean, look, we we know we're in the middle of a, a process and we've done very well to build the squad that we've got. But there are definitely areas that can be tinkered with over the course of the next transfer window, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why they are targeting somebody like Rice. That's why they were yeah. after somebody like Caicedo is is you're, you're looking to bring in signings who, who raise the level. You know, it's what we talked about with the, the Trossard decision. You know, you've got three fantastic forwards in Martinelli, Saka and Jesus. And then you add another one in Trossard Mm. and it raises the level. And I think that's what we're going to have to look to do in the summer. So you're never going to have the perfect squad. I don't think any team really has the the 100%. Like if this guy's missing, we've got the perfect replacement for him. In this game state, we've always got the perfect substitute. There's there's always going to be a sense that like one more player or two more players, the classic, you're two players away from, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't think that exists, but I think when you, when you are trying to build, you're looking to bring in players who, who are better than the ones that they are, you know, are coming in for. And I think that's what we will try and do this summer. And, you know, yesterday we've talked about the subs and how the subs weren't really effective. Um, I suspect that the lack of that midfield option is why he decided to go with the with the back three. If we'd had a midfield option, I think he would have been much more inclined to put that on and keep the three in midfield rather than rather than take Martin Odegaard off. So, yeah. It's just it's just occurred to me that in the home game, obviously we had Tommy Asu playing at uh, left back, didn't yeah. we, that day against yeah. Salah? And obviously he's injured, and another option who can either play as a, a centre back or a full back and give you options to maybe move Ben White into the centre. You know, there's yeah. that. I think that injury there was one that's kind of shown itself up to be you know frustrating, especially at the same time as Saliba's. For sure, I mean Tommy Asu would have been maybe the perfect sub. Uh, in a game yesterday, you know, as much as I would have liked to see Tierney come on, but Tommy Asu for Zinchenko on 70 minutes is another one. Or if you are putting on another def- uh, defender, you know, Tommy Asu has got the experience of, of the Premier League that Kivior hasn't. So maybe it's a little more, a little more stable back there, but you know, this is, this is what it is. Um, and this is the yep. job that, yep. that the manager and Edu and everyone else has got to do in the summer. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got another one. This mm-hmm. one's from the Discord from Greg uh, Justum, I think it is. Um, he says, not much being said by the media about the potential of a big points lead going to City. With us now playing twice 
before we play City and then playing once due to the FA Cup, we could actually be nine points clear having with them having played or having played two games more than City. Mm. Do you think being nine points clear will play a part in how that game goes or how we approach it and put City in a must-win situation? I think City will be a bit more clinical, a bit more methodical than that. I don't think it will make them change their uh, approach to the game. I think they play the way they play with a consistency that is just sort of inbuilt. This is what they do. This is how they do it. doesn't matter if they're nine points clear or if they're nine points behind. I think this is the way that they will play. I do think it would be a very interesting psychological aspect, though, if we if we could get to that position to be nine points clear. What it would probably do is is produce a load of think pieces about how if Arsenal don't win the title from being nine points clear, they're the biggest bottlers in history and blah, 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 like we saw uh, a bit last week, some nonsense doing the rounds, you know, this idea that that somehow if we don't win this league, we are absolute chumps, which of course is just fucking nonsense. Um, you know, it would be disappointing, obviously, but it doesn't suggest that we are, um, you know, a bunch of bottlers or anything like that. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I mean, it, 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 it's kind of crazy, isn't it, that Technically, the only thing now separating us from not winning the league is losing at City. You mm -hmm. know, if we lose at City and they win all of their games, and even if we won all of our games, they would they would win the league on goal difference, well, it right? Depends how many goals we score, you know. Well, yeah, quite. But but what I'm saying is that you know, would it be a bottle job on Arsenal's part to lose a if, league on goal difference? That, yeah. To, well, or to lose a league that was based on one game with Manchester City away from home, effectively, you know, which is what could end up being the, the difference between it all. I don't think Arsenal are going to bottle this league. I think they might lose it, but I don't think it will be a bottle job that really causes it because... If you lose home and away to Man City, then maybe you have to hold your hands up and say they made the difference or that that was the difference in the key games. They came out on top and therefore they might be the worthy mm. champions if you like but i don't think it's i don't think it's bottling or anything no no i do think it will be really interesting if we can go to west ham and get three points and if we can then beat southampton i think from a supporter point of view just knowing that there's a cushion there going into that game even though it's a sort of false cushion uh a false nine if you will mm. um it's uh you know that that would it, it, I mean, it would give me some comfort knowing we had some kind of gap. Because if if it was, it's all or nothing on that game, mm. and City City kind of win it and they take over, you know, they go ahead of us on points as well. Then, you know, we we might we might as well just write it off there and then. Mm. But knowing that City would still have to kind of do something, I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, I I think <laughs> the one thing that's clear is we need to make sure we win these next two games to give ourselves as well, that's much it. opportunity as possible. That's Take it. Take yeah. some pressure, whatever pressure that is off. Well, I mean, I think as fans, we're looking ahead and we're looking at like what the permutations might be. I think internally that focus will be West Ham. And nobody's thinking about anything other than West Ham and how to win that game and take all three points and then see where we are by the time we, we have to rock up and, and, and play at the Etihad. I mean, we do have some other questions here about Man City. Um, Johnny B. AFC on the Discord said, simple one, do you feel more or less confident we'll win it after today? He said, for me, more, I think we'll get something at the Etihad. 
uh, I think I have I have to feel slightly less confident because if we'd won yesterday, we would have had a bigger points advantage and that would have put sure. us in a better situation. Breathing so, room, yeah. Breathing room. At the same time, do I take heart from the Liverpool performance and think that we can go to City? Yeah, I, I think we can get something at City, but yeah, I, I think we can get something at City. I don't, I don't really feel more or less confident. I just think one more game down, mm. we know this is going to go right to the end. I don't, you know, there, there's big games every week. It feels like. I mean, I still look at that Newcastle away game and have sort of nightmares about it, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of what happened last year. So, I'm about the same. About the same. Yeah, I think, I, I think so too. On the fence there. Yeah, but I think if we can go to Anfield and get something. And if we can go to Anfield and play the way we played, um, you know, when we were good, those good aspects of our game, then I don't see any reason why we can't go to Manchester City and get something, you know? Hmm. So, um, it, I mean, I it'll mean, be I really difficult. I don't like the idea of us going to the City and actually having to try and, like, you know, psychologically think you don't have to win because, you know, I, I hate those games when you don't have to actually win the game to kind of get what you need out of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because psychologically you just end up on the back foot you welcome pressure on you sit really deep and it's very hard to sort of switch out of that mode once you're into it um so in some respects i kind of i i need that there needs to be some edge we need to have to kind of go and mm. you know win that game in a way you know i want us to be on the front foot for that game exactly as we were at anfield um gabriel on the discord says do you think the biggest difference between arsenal and man city is one of character and composure in high pressure situations i mean they've done it i guess so you know they've won the league before they've they've experienced that um but you know, I watched Manchester City absolutely cack their pants against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final stoppage time, whatever it was last season, mm. when they fell apart. I mean, all teams feel pressure. Uh, but if you're a, a betting man, you'd probably put your money on City because they've they've had more experience of doing this and we're, we're really coming into it, you know, cold. Mm. It's 19 years since we've had a, a title win, so... Um, but at the same time, I mean, some of the we've got a lot of title winners in our team. You know, yeah. Tierney's won titles, Jenko's won titles, Jesus has won titles. Um, Xhaka, you know, there are guys who, yeah, Xhaka, they've they've won things before. So mm. I think there is experience there. Um, so I wouldn't just completely write us off. And I think there's something also to be said for the fearlessness of youth. You know, Ramsdale's been playing up the fact that you know he's not really playing playing with pressure on his back because he's experienced real pressure where jobs are on the line when your club's facing relegation. So yeah, yeah, uh, the swings and roundabouts. But um, yeah, I'm not too concerned about that. I mean, I think the biggest um, difference between Arsenal and Man City is you know the hundreds of millions of pounds in. Funny sponsorship <laughs> yeah. deals, but you know it's the cheating, isn't it, Andrew? It's the cheating. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I've got another one from Twitter. So this is from Jakub Kopisinski. Apologies if I've, um, you know, killed your name there. But at Bubble Chucky is, is other teams' fans wanting City to win the league just their way of hoping no one really wins? Cities and PSG's league titles can be written off. There shouldn't be any real way of competing. Our winning it would make them more frustrated with their own teams. 
I mean, that's kind of what we were just saying, isn't it? You know, I, I can GT. see the logic behind that. I can see why you could just go, well, Man City win it because that's what they do. That's what they've been set up to do. You know, the financial aspect of it. It's easy to compartmentalize that. And um, and I, I understand that, you know. But I do, you know, without sort of wanting to come across in any way uh, – I don't know what the word is, but I do think it would be a fucking great thing for football and the Premier League if Arsenal were to win it. And I'm saying that as an Arsenal fan. Obviously, I'm invested in it. I'm biased. I want us to win for very um, selfish reasons because I want it for me and for you and for everybody listening to this. I want us to have that that celebration but as we get deeper and deeper into this era of nation-state-owned football clubs, uh, oligarchs, and, you know, I say this, while we have a billionaire owner, I get it. But for Arsenal to be able to go and win it, I, and this is why I was glad to see Liverpool win it a, a couple of years ago, that, that something happened... Um, they grew a team, they built a team, it became competitive, they won the league. You know, I think it's good for football that that it isn't just a situation like in the Bundesliga where there's, you know, one team that's going to win the league and it's Bayern Munich because they've won it for the last 10 or 11 years. I know there's a bit of a title chase this season, but, you know, it's inevitable. It must be boring as fuck. Same in France. PSG going to win the league. Boring, boring, boring. You know, mm. the only reason the Premier League has been in any way interesting in the last number of years is because Liverpool and Manchester City have been duking it out. Otherwise, it's just like, fuck, you know, Man City would walk away with it. And I think, you know, if Arsenal were to do it, it, it would show, you know, Liverpool, you can build a team and do it again. Manchester United, you know, not that I want them to win it, but, you know, they could do it. Uh, you know, they mentioned Newcastle on TV in this context yesterday, you know, ignoring the fact that it's not plucky little fucking Newcastle who are going to put together a, a team of fucking local Geordie boys to to you know, cobble together a team that fights their way to the title in heroic style. You know, Newcastle are now a Man City. That is the reality. They haven't got to where Man City are, but they are a Man City and they're they're going to be part of, of what we have to, to fight with. So um, I think it would be great if Arsenal could um, could win the title. And, and like I said, for very obvious reasons, but also, you know, for, um, I was going to say the good of football, but I don't know if that's what it is, but it would just demonstrate that there is a way to compete with a team that has been set up in such a way and built in such a way that you can't compete, that you should not be able to compete with the likes of Man City because of the money that they have and the way that they've used that money. Mm. I mean, I think if City win it this year, it'd be three in a row. And I don't think a team's done that since United did it twice um, in the mm. 90s, maybe, or early noughties. I can't remember exactly when they did it twice. But yeah, I mean, you, you don't want that trend to be set in stone, do you? The idea that one team just keeps winning it over and over. And look, there's plenty of other shit for City to win this season. So they can, you know, go off and put all their efforts and eggs into the uh, Champions League basket. Yeah, Feed fuck off. And, yeah, exactly. Fuck off and win the Champions League and we can all ignore it because we know what it is. No one's going to go, yeah. I'm gutted that Man City won the Champions League. It's just like, 
look, they've bought a Champions League at last. Taking them fucking long enough, the cunts. Um, let me ask you this one uh, from bum, 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 Ashley Moss, who's at Ashley Moss 4 on Twitter. He said, with the news coming out from David Ornstein this morning about Flo Balagoon, where do you see his future? And if we sell him now, how much do you think he's worth? And the update from uh, David this morning was, big call ahead for Arsenal on following Balagoon. 21-year-old striker wants to be first choice next season, ideally at Arsenal, but not looking realistic. So a move appeals amid huge interest. Two years left on his contract. No plans to renew or go on loan again. Yeah, it's funny the sort of existential crisis we managed to sort of <laughs> create for ourselves on a Monday morning, yeah. worrying about a goal-scoring youngster who's playing in France at the moment while we're going for a title run. Um Look, I think it's a difficult one, but they obviously renewed his contract and Enketia's contract for a reason. And I've got no problem with them having a bit of a shootout in pre-season to see mm. what happens next. Um, I'd like to see him have a shot. But at the same time, I can see the benefits of selling a young player for a large amount of money. Then at the same time, I'm also looking at it and thinking, well, we're going to play in the Champions League next year. So there isn't the need to sell a young player in the same way that maybe we have mm. needed that in the past. Uh, I would say that with Champions League football and maybe a bit more of a concerted effort in the cup competitions next season, there's plenty of room in a football squad for very good players to go and compete with each other. Mm. Um, nobody really complained about it when it was, you know, Bergkamp, Canu, Henri, Wiltord, Suker, you know, like mm. that's what championship winning and good teams have. They have lots of good quality players. I get that there's a slight difference in that Balogun's a young player and he hasn't yet had an opportunity and how do you get the best out of a young player when, mm. uh, you, know, how, you know, how do you give them the minutes they need to thrive when they he's basically played a full season of senior football elsewhere? We can't guarantee him that, but then you can't really guarantee that to, to anyone. So... It's a it's a it's a really difficult one, but it's a good situation to be in for Arsenal. You know, worrying about having too many good players is one of those things. And if the worst thing that happens is we sell him when we get forty million quid, I can live with that. And if he goes on to have a great career elsewhere, fair play to him. I mean, I think the key thing here is that there are you know two years left on his contract, no plans to renew. Or go on loan again. So I think it's being put up to the club, like, give me a chance or let me go. Yeah. Um, I think we definitely need more depth at centre forward. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we made the most of this brilliant season that he's having in France sold him for a very significant amount of money because, you know, he's, he's developed uh, really well. And we use some of that money to bring in a, another centre forward. Maybe somebody with a slightly different kind of profile. I'm not saying he, Jesus and Enkedia are all the same because clearly they're not. They've all got their own attributes. But there's a similarity, I think, in terms of, of what they do and how they do it. Whereas maybe if you're Arsenal looking at the Champions League and thinking, right, we might need something a little bit different uh, up front, a mm. slightly different option. The way we were talking about midfield... Um, you know, not necessarily having the right option to make that substitute yesterday. Maybe they're looking at another uh, kind of centre forward or another kind of forward um, for for the summer. So look, I don't. He's a Hayland graduate. 
He's done so well on loan. Um, it sounds like he wants to play regular first-team football. And who can blame him for that? Nobody. I think in this case, where people have been critical of the club in the past about contracts and, and those kinds of things, about players being able to go for free, in this case, Arsenal renewed his contract. He's done really well. And maybe this is the kind of player you need to sell to reinvest in your squad. Um, I'd love to see him get a chance too, but I can see very easily how how this situation will end with him uh, going somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, look, he's obviously a very highly motivated, ambitious guy. And that's not just he's making noises about wanting to play first team football at Arsenal, but also at the international level, the fact that he's very publicly kind of gone... I'm not playing for the under-21s for England. I'm mm. going to go off and have a conversation with the US national team about whether or not they they suit me better. Yeah. Ultimately, he sounds like someone who's not going to be satisfied in any circumstances of just sitting around. And Arteta may look at that knowing full well that you have a 25-man squad and he obviously has a very preferred starting setup at the moment. Mm. Is he going to just sort of bow to the demands of a a twenty one year old who's you know obviously a, a highly talented player? But he's, mm. I don't think he's going to change that. I think if we were really struggling for goals, maybe there would be a conversation around it, a bit more of a conversation around it. But you know, Arteta set us the challenge of hitting ninety goals this season. I didn't think that was in any way, shape, or possible. Like, or I didn't think it was any way, shape, or possible. Like the idea that we were going to do that this season, mm. given how many goals we had to make up from previous seasons. But we've hit 72 in the league already. Uh, eight games to go. The rate at which we're scoring, we, we should do that. I mean, it, and that is just, that's good training. Mm. That is getting players to raise the level across the across the team. But it's also about understanding how you create chances and making sure you have the right players on the pitch to do that. And yeah. we've done it. And, uh, you know, my face is in the manager. And if the manager says, I don't need... Flo Balogun will take 30 million for him, 40 million, whatever. Fine. I'll mm. live with it. You know, I'll live with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me too. I mean, add a sell on, add a buyback, whatever you want to do. But we've long exhorted the club to make the most of um, the transfer market in terms of selling. We've got to be able to sell well as a club. And, you know, mm. if, if Balogun generates a lot of money in the way that Joe Willock did, for example, um, and goes on to have a good career, like you say, you know, that might be a decision we have to make. We need to start shaktaring it though. You know, we need to start putting, you know, the message out there that so-and-so <laughs> cost a hundred million quid. Yeah, that's you know, it. Sit on that for a while. Yeah. If Mudrick cost a hundred million, Flo Balagoon is uh, <laughs> 370 million, million pounds. Yeah. Right. Let's do one very quick one before we go. Um, GMAFC on the discord says, what manager would you like to see come in at Leicester to give them even the slightest chance next weekend? I'm going for Big Sam, getting them to play nine at the back. Oh. But it's not going to be Jesse Marsh. God. We know that. You need you need an inspiring figure who would get the Leicester fans super excited. Bring back Claudio Ranieri. Ranieri. Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker as manager of Leicester. <laughs> I'm not Just sure. There. Yeah. Um, I don't, I mean, depending on what, you know, how many punches Bayern throw this week against Man City, I'm not holding out any hope really of Leicester doing us a, a favour 
um, Man City twenty six, Leicester one. I just need you know Vardy's going to need to be on all of the Red Bull this week to have him up for that. But I mean, <laughs> the yeah, jumbo I, cans I, of I, monster. <laughs> I, I I just there's, there's there's almost no point at this point looking at City and hoping for them because it just it just mm. makes you more sad. I watched them against Southampton and it was really tight for a while and Southampton missed a chance and then City went up the other end and killed it and mm. it just made me regret the fact that I'd even turned the TV on. So yeah. it's almost better just to blank it all out, assume they'll win everything and hope that we do the business at the Etihad somehow. That's it. Go up a mountain and then, you know, look at your phone when all the texts come through and go, oh my God, Vardy. He scored a consolation goal in Man City's 26-1 win. All right. Look, we better leave it there. Actually, I mean, go on. I was just going to say, I did go up a mountain recently and bump into a manager. So maybe if Julian Nagelsmann wants to take over at Leicester, I'll be okay with that. Well, there you go. He could well mastermind a a glorious victory and uh, help them avoid relegation. Who knows? All right, we'll leave it there for now. Andrew, uh, thank you very much for uh, so ably standing in for James. Oh, thanks very much for having me. I hope, uh, yeah, I hope James is doing all right. I haven't spoken to him in a while. But, yeah, um, yeah. Little Rocky. Big, big deal. For Get the headphones yeah, on, Rocky. listening Great to the story. Sure is. All right. Uh, for you guys, uh, thank you very much as always for being here. We'll have some stuff for you on Patreon this week as well. Schedule is a bit all over the place. I will explain uh, on the blog and uh, on the podcasts uh, that we get out to you. For now, take it easy and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.